The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you very much. It's a blessing to be here. Um, honored to have my wife and my children with me. I've always said I made them brown, she made them beautiful. So <laughs> it's an incredible blessing to be at the school that has formed me in so many ways and prepared me to, to serve Christ in this world. It's an honor. I only wish that they had me in February so that I can take more time since that will be Black History Month and I could just say that because I'm black I should get more time, right? But, uh, <laughs> but I'm limited to 25 minutes <laughs> and I have to keep the time. Um, there's a, a movie that many of you probably have seen. I've never seen it. I've only seen scenes of the movie, um, the Titanic. And I believe part of the movie, towards the end, when the Titanic is going down, the band keeps playing. Is that part of the movie? So they're playing despite the obvious it's, it's, it's going down. And I'm wondering, as I'm hearing the worship, so beautiful, how much of what we're doing right now is singing and worshiping and praising while this thing is going down. Let's be honest. As we're singing, some of our pastors are having conversations with their spouses about leaving the ministry. When you go into class and start writing, some of your pastors are writing that letter of resignation. The last two years have not been good to the church. How many of you have seen membership diminish. We understand that people stayed home during the worst of the pandemic, but many of them have decided not to come back. Over the last two years, I've met with pastors preaching at churches, and I've not heard one pastor say how happy they are to still be in ministry. Yesterday, I spoke at a church, and after I spoke, the pastor resigned. How many of you have seen how splintered the church has become? Are we singing and worshiping while this thing is obviously going down? I'm not a prophet. I can't see the future. But I think American Christianity is in for a reckoning. And some of you are preparing to pastor churches that will not be in existence. Some of you are preparing to go into the society with the gospel, and the society is going to be more against you in every single way. So how do we keep going? How do we stay at an institution like this knowing that the tides are literally turning? I'm going to ask you to stay. I'm going to ask you to fight on. And I'm going to say, Society and the church needs you more than ever. But what we need to continue is vision. The school sings a song, Be Thou My Vision. And I think now more than ever, we need a vision of God that will allow us to continue to fight on because it is not nice what's happening within our churches. And we have to be honest with what we see. I'm going to look at a vision uh, from, the, from the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 6. 
Many of us are familiar with this vision. But I think this is the type of vision we need. Because I don't know about you, some of, some of you are probably burnt out. Some of you are trying to figure out how do you break to your parents when you tell them I'm not going back. Some of you are rethinking whether or not you want to serve Jesus in society. Recently, a man who was very influential in the formation of my faith denounced the faith publicly. And a lot of people are wrestling with it. But what I've noticed is not just people wrestling with it. Some people are like, that's all I needed to hear to also denounce the, denounce the faith. I needed a pioneer, someone to, to leave the church that I can follow them out because I've been out. I've been done for a long time. It seems like there's a rustling. There's, there's, you ever seen a, a fruit tree when the wind blows and then all the fruit starts to fall? I think that's what's happening right now within evangelicalism. I think they're, they're, they're putting the final nails in the coffin. Unfortunately, we've been giving them the nails and the hammer. But we need a remnant. And in order for that remnant to be inspired to continue, despite what we really see, we need a vision. But what kind of vision? It's a threefold vision I want to talk about before I go into the verses. First, we need a relevant vision, a vision that makes sense to what we are experiencing and what we're seeing. It needs to be real. We need a vision that shows a real view of ourselves. How many of you are sick of the lies within evangelicalism? You've seen it your entire life. You've been to churches where they say one thing and they do something else. And some of your friends have left because of that and you're holding on. You're that one fruit that even though the wind is blowing, you're still holding on. But how much more can you hold on without a vision? But we need to see ourselves. We need to be honest with the failures of our people. And then we need a vision that's redemptive, a vision that's dynamic, a vision that's exciting, a vision that could take 120 and in 2,000 years turn it to 2.8 billion. That's what I want to talk about with 25 minutes. 30. <laughs> in the year that King Uzziah died, I had a vision of the Lord. He was on his throne, high above, and his robe filled the temple. Flaming creatures with six wings each were flying over him. They covered their face with two of their wings and their bodies with two more. They used the other two wings for flying, and they shouted, Holy, 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 Lord all-powerful. I know you used to the other versions, but I work with ki kids, so I try to get a, a more contemporary version, so please bear with me. The earth is filled with your glory. As they shouted, the doorposts of the temple shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I cried out, I'm doomed. Everything I say is sinful, and so are the words of everyone around me. Yet I've seen the king and the Lord all-powerful. One of the flaming creatures flew over to me with a burning coal that, I had, that it had taken from the altar 
with a pair of metal tongs. It touched my lips with the hot coal and said, this has touched your lips. Your sins are forgiven. You are no longer guilty. After this, I heard the Lord ask, is there anyone I can send? Will someone go for us? I'll go, I answered. Send me. The vision of Isaiah. Now, as I said before, we need a vision. We need to see God afresh. I'm one of those people that get sick and tired of hearing about the Reformation. Why? Not because it wasn't great, but because I refuse to think God's greatest move was back then. But in order to have something happen, we need a vision of God. And it must be relevant. What, what, what do I mean by that? Look, look at Isaiah. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, that impacted him. If I, if I said 2020, most people will know what I'm talking about. If I said I'm having a 2020 type of year, <laughs> that was a traumatic and difficult year. And the year that King Uzziah died was a traumatic and difficult year for Isaiah. That's the king. He held things together. And if you look at history, he was actually a good king. He, he strengthened and empowered Israel or Judah until he fell into sin. And then he was struck with leprosy, but still he's the king. And the king is now dead. And I can imagine Isaiah, like what's happening? The people are falling back into idolatry. The institutions that we trusted and we're losing faith in. How many of you, be honest, young Christians, how many of you have lost faith in our government? How many of us have lost faith in our churches? Some of you have lost faith in our educational organizations. It's a shaking. There's anxiety. What, what's next? What are we going to do? The king is dead. The guy I voted for lost. Or the guy I voted for won, but now we lost. It's scary. I remember when I came to America, one thing I was sure of is that the, the president, whoever was the president, was the greatest man on earth. In my mind, he was great, not because of the power he held, but it just seems that they were good men who always led through principle. That was the biggest lie I've ever told myself. <laughs> and we continue to elect men who are not guided by God. And then we lose faith in those institutions. I've heard people say, defund the police. And I've had police sit with me weeping, saying, based on what I've done in my life, they're right. We're losing faith in the institutions. And Isaiah here has lost faith. What's happening? The king is dead. And God says, I'm going to give you a relevant vision. You need to see something that makes sense of what you're seeing right now. And what does God show him? 
that he's the true king. And I think God is sick and tired of us going to him, talking about our favorite uh, presidents and elect, elect, elected officials. Come on. He says, the reason why you keep staring at them is because you haven't seen me. I'm high and I'm lifted up. The train of my robe fills the temple. And that was a, 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 an example of how long he's been ruling from eternity past to eternity future. He'll be ruling long after there's no longer a United States of America. I can say these things because I'm from another country. And the reason why, no, no, listen up, listen, listen up. I'm here, which means I've already lost faith in some institutions. I came to America because I knew, my family knew, this was the greatest place on earth. It was demonstrably greater than the country I was from. Then I came to America and I found Jesus. And I realized his kingdom was demonstrably better and greater than anything this nation could offer. But we need that vision. So it's a, it's a relevant vision, right? But also it's a, it's a vision of power. He has these uh, fiery winged creatures flying around him. And I was like, first of all, if I'm Isaiah, I would have probably fainted at the vision of the fiery creatures. But what's interesting is those fiery creatures can't even look upon God. That they, as great as they are, they are forced to be humble. It says they cover their face. They can't look upon his glory. And they cover themselves. They don't want him looking upon them. As, mu as much as we know, they are sinless. But in the face of the holiness of God, they're like Adam and Eve. How can I hide? Do we see this God? Do we see how powerful and how holy he is. These creatures don't have time to talk to one another. They can't even talk to God. All they can say is holy, holy, holy. And here's a catch with this that blows me away. They said the earth is filled with his glory. They, they from heaven. You would think they're like heaven is filled with his glory. Think about it. There's something about earth and something about what God is doing in earth that even the angels are blown away at how it's filled with his glory. He's still king. No matter what's falling apart, no matter what the Russians are doing, he's still king. So it's a relevant vision of God, but it's also a real vision of self and society. And so we know it. Isaiah sees all, this, all these things and he says, I'm done. I'm doomed, right? He says, because I, I'm a sinner. I, I have sinful lips. Now, I always wondered, why did he mention his lips? Of all the things to talk about, Isaiah, but it might be connected to these angels who are using their lips to continually praise God. And then Isaiah, in contrast, says, I don't do that. That's how it's supposed to be. I don't do that. But you know what I love about this? The honesty. Isaiah was, was privileged. He was probably of the priestly class. He, he had access to the temple and also to the palace. Isaiah learned God's word at a very young age. He was ready to serve. And he probably thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. 
And many of us think that. I do not care one bit about white privilege or black privilege, but I'll be honest, I've been so blown away at Christian privilege. Y'all the most privileged people on this planet. And if you're honest, you didn't save yourself, he reached out to you. And my question is why he reached out to you and not those kids in Saudi Arabia or Iraq or India. You wanna talk about privilege, you have more Bibles than you can ever read. More churches than you can ever visit. Some of us have made a living out of jumping from church to church, while so many believers around the planet can't have one without being attacked. I want to talk about privilege. Isaiah had privilege. And he might have thought he was good, righteous. And he saw God high and lifted up. He says, I'm not what I'm supposed to be. Here's why that's important, guys. We talk about sin, but in general. So we're sinners saved by grace. That's just now enculturated into evangelicalism. That's how we talk. That's now just here. My culture has a lot of stuff. That's just how it is. There's a difference from knowing that from a cultural perspective and being broken about it because you've seen God. And I know there's a lot of us that know it, but have never been broken by it. And Isaiah needed a vision of God that can break him. Because up to that point, he was good old Isaiah. And he did the next step in his education. He did the next Christian step or the Jewish. He did everything right. But for the first time, he was broken about his sin. But here's what happens. When you're broken about your sin, you begin to see it everywhere else. He says, not only am I messed up, but I dwell with people that's messed up. What the Christians have done very well, us evangelicals, we have been able to show the world how sinful they are. We have been able to put, make a list of their sins, and we throw it out there on social media. But we never realize that we dwell with them, and we're just like them. And that's what he realized. He says, listen, I'm a sinner. They're sinners. I was, I was the one preaching to them. And we are sinful just like them. You don't believe me? Have you ever interviewed someone who runs a abortion clinic? Have you ever sat in with them? And asked them what's the religious background of the young ladies having abortions? Catholics and Protestants and evangelicals and in my community, Amish. Let's be real. We talk to them about sexual sin, but Christian men are addicted to porn just like the rest of the world. We tell them that we worship this Jewish savior, but our churches are anti-Semitic and racist. Come on. I mean, the, the first time I experienced racism was here. Not by the staff, not by the curriculum, but I had someone tell me, say, listen, you're a great guy. I was like, thanks. <laughs> but I can't take you home. My parents will never want you in my home. Let's be honest. 
Not only are we sinful, but we dwell. When I say dwell, I'm not talking about the, the nation in general. I'm talking about our churches, our homes, evangelicalism. And unless we're honest, here's why I know we're dishonest. Anytime the world accuses us of sin, we get defensive. We want to fight them. They're right a lot of the times. We need a vision that allows us to see ourselves and stop playing these games. But we need a vision that's redemptive. So Isaiah sees himself as doomed. And he realizes, I am sinful and so are the people I dwell with. And then finally, he hasn't said anything, he hasn't done anything. And one of those angels came and touched his lip with a fiery coal and says, you're cleansed. That's grace. He didn't ask for it. That was grace. He didn't deserve it. That's grace. But here's another thing. It's painful. We don't like pain. We don't like to wrestle. We don't like to cry. I remember it was probably my sophomore year here. Something happened where my sin was exposed. And for the first time, God put his hand on me. Have any one of you experienced God's hand on you? There's nothing more painful. I'm in one of the dorms, Stillman dorms, and I'm on, my, on, my, on the ground, and I'm in curled up in a fetal position. I'm crying to God. I never felt the hand of his judgment. And I said, God, please take this pain away. Listen, I didn't struggle with that sin after that. Boy, you know, but we don't like that. We want to say, hey, Jesus suffered, Paul suffered, they all suffered. We don't want to suffer. But if God is going to cleanse us so that we can truly serve, guess what? It will be painful. A hot coal on your lip is imagery of pain. I've seen these crazy people walk on hot coals. Have you ever seen any of that stuff? Have you ever done any of that stuff? I haven't seen a lot of black people do it. Uh, <laughs> and I think there's a reason why. <laughs> But imagine taking one of them hot coals and put it on your lips. What I'm trying to say is that maybe this is the pain. Maybe this whole thing, the things that we're seeing right now in our churches, falling apart, being, being, being challenged, maybe God is saying, I need to purify you guys. I need this to be real. There's going to be less of you when I'm done. There's going to be less of you. There's going to be less of you when I'm done, but I need to purify. I'm going to have to end on this. I don't have a lot of time. So what's the vision for us? Isaiah had his vision. It was relevant. It was real. It was redemptive. What's the vision for us? Here's the thing, guys. I think we already got it. Jesus on the cross. It's different. Here, God is on the throne as king, but Jesus is on the cross as king. And he's he has a crown of thorns on his head. And the, the, the robe that God had on filled the temple, and now Jesus is naked. It's contrasting, but it's showing the same thing. The angels are flying around saying, holy, holy, holy. He's on the cross, and people are spitting on him. And criminals are berating him. 
And a Roman soldier says, truly, this is God. Is that vision enough to carry us into the world? You see, Isaiah saw power. Jesus redefined power. Power is sacrifice. Isaiah saw glory. Jesus redefined glory. Glory is giving it all for someone else. Isaiah saw the, the, the angels surrounded, and Jesus says, I'm going to be surrounded by the poor and the weak and the humble. Same God, same vision, but one relevant to the world that we're serving. Let me give you this last story. So while I was a student at Karen, I was always working at the Great American Diner. Is that still around? They closed it down? COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I would always work like 2 a.m. I'll show you the glory of Jesus. I would work late and I went there because they felt sorry for me. They would give me free food and free coffee. But this is relevant because this is some of the stuff you guys are wrestling with. So I'm there and there was a group of homosexuals sitting at a table. And this is when George Bush was president. And they were berating him because they said he's anti this and anti that. And I'm, I'm there with my Bible and I'm like, and I'm hearing them and they saying some real mean stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> let me hide this a little bit before they come at me. And um, then they all left and this one young lady stayed. She was still there. And I don't know what it is, but the Lord just said, hey, go talk to her. And I talked to her. She was telling me how much she hates the church, how much the church has caused so much pain for her in her life. True. We've been unkind. There's some sins we'll work with. There's other sins we don't want to touch. There's some peoples that are lepers to us. Right? Anyway, I wasn't there to talk about whether or not it's right or wrong. I just wanted to hear her. Anyway, I just, as we talked, I just asked her one question. I said, so let's say God doesn't have any issues with your life choices. But if Jesus asks you to not live that way just because he's Lord, because he could tell me to stay celibate. He can tell you to serve in Haiti for the rest of your life. He can tell you to never get married. You know, this, he's Lord. That's what Lord means. I just said, what? I said, what if he asked you just to not live that way? She started weeping. She started weeping. Because she had to wrestle with, he is high and lifted up. On a cross. For my sins. And that's the vision I need. The re reason why people are pushing back is because we're not showing them Jesus. What did he say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Paul said, it's foolishness, it's folly to talk about a crucified man as being the son of God. Somehow it continues to draw people from all backgrounds, from all sins. That's the vision we have. Would you say with me, be thou my vision? Let's say it. Be thou my vision. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need a fresh vision, but it's not fresh in the sense of it's new. It's always been there. But sometimes we can't see it even though it's there. And I pray, God, that we will see you high and lifted up on a cross. That tells me that sin is real and it had to be dealt with. The sin in me and the sin around me. 
And it tells me I can't play this game of protecting my tribe. If my tribe has sinned and hurt people, we're going to acknowledge it and we're going to be cleansed by you. Lord God, when you're high and lifted up, it says you're a king. You're a different type of king. You're the king that we should bow down to. But yet we run vigorously to elect people that bring shame to you and to us. God, change us and help us. Be thou our vision. In your name we pray. Amen.